Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I've seen the Out Here Brothers perform live. And covered in more well thumbed magazines than the average hedgerow in Gloucestershire, I am Ash Versus. This is our guide through the months that we miss between Series 4 and Series 5, which essentially covers the 13th of January 1995 through to the 21st of September 1995. And as you and I were saying just before we started recording this, bloody hell, there was a lot happened in 1995. I'm going to head things off at the bat here. If you think, oh, hey, they didn't talk about this, you're probably right. I have used up an entire kind of uh, I guess, I don't know what they call it, wedge, I guess, of those little post-it note tabs going mm-hmm. through the magazines that we have, the Games Master magazine that we have to cover this time period. And I'm not even covering the Mortal Kombat 3 development diaries because I'm looking at them and I'm going, that is an episode down the line. That's some bonus content we might get to either between Series 5 and 6 or who knows, maybe even after we're done with Series 7. But wow there is so much going on in 1995 when i was doing my notes i did actually find like a couple of articles that was like 1995 the best year in gaming question mark Hmm. and given everything that happened in 1995 it's a strong contender it is kind of for games what was it 1984 Uh, 84 and 85 particularly 84 because you had you know like that ghostbusters gremlins run and there there is no chance we're going to get through everything that happened in those months but you've got the movies and the music i've got the games master magazines 
we're hopefully going to bridge a couple of the gaps that will take us up to our ascent to heaven. January, we've kind of covered the music and films already, though, because it was the gore special. We had Stargate at number one at the box office, then followed by Only You, which there isn't really a whole lot to say about. And the Rednecks, Cotton Eye Joe, was number one for three weeks. That basically covers us for the rest of January. Yeah, and I confess, I forgot to do the magazine for the gore special. Whoops. But... Just to cover the issue that takes us from January into February, because of course the way timing works on magazines, it's a bit weird. You've got the cover date, which is actually the date that the issue will go off sale. Yeah. There's a couple of things worth noting, one of which is a news article that says the Neptune is closer to release than the Saturn. Is it now? And it says the unit will be compatible with the new Mega CD, allowing new CD games to utilise the 32-bit technology as well and will hit the shelves at around £200. Unfortunately, until the autumn, when the machine is launched, we'll have to put up with towering mushrooms. And a quote from Sega UK says, this reinforces our commitment to the 32X for the next couple of years. Hmm. It's worth saying that that is followed by a comment from Games Master magazine that says, Sega UK wibbled unconvincingly. (laughs) Good use of the word wibbled there. And absolutely accurate as well. Oh yeah. Moving into February, Celine Dion dominated the music tracks with a whole seven weeks at the top of the charts with her track Think Twice, while at the box office we had I Like It Like That, but come on, we're here to talk about the five weeks at the top of the box office for Star Trek Generations. Paramount Pictures invites you to leap into the future of adventure. Travel to the limits of time and space as the next generation of heroes <laughs> takes you beyond the final frontier. Make it quick! Let's try and cheat death together. Warp one, engage! Yes! Star Trek Generations. Oh, do you know I rewatched this recently? It was because we'd been talking about it, and also I think uh, We Hate Movies had done their We Love Movies. Um, a Christmas episode or, or some episode basically talking about Star Trek Generations and it wasn't the best Trek movie it did suffer from the odd number issue but going back and looking at it and let's be honest given the egos involved in it I think it gets an unfair bad rap yeah I, I think the, the the bad rap comes from that this is a Star Trek movie that has Picard and Kirk on screen together for the first time and that you know fans thought well what would happen it kind of saying with freddy versus jason oh what would happen if those two met on screen you know back in the uh the 60s godzilla versus king kong oh what would happen what will happen when picard and kirk meet on screen and the answer is they have breakfast they make some fucking amazing omelets yeah and that, that's what i mean and i think that's where the the sort of the negativity comes around star trek generations because there's actually a lot of another film there but the thing that people tend to focus on is that, well, that's not what I would have done for my first meeting, first and only meeting of Picard and Kirk, and actually, you know, the death of Kirk. Yeah, it's interesting because you can, to a degree, see the Shatner ego at play here. And like, why do they go riding horses? Well, because Shatner knows how to ride a horse. Like Shatner's showing off. There's a bit where he kind of gets the horse to do like a little set of side steps. And that's like a fairly complicated thing to do. But Shatner is in his element and I believe on his horse. Mm. So he gets to show off a bit. But there's some great stuff happening in Generations. You've got the whole thing with the emotion chip rearing its ugly head. You've got Guinan in it, who is actually the bridge between 
the um, original series era of characters and where we are with the next gen because she was present at the exciting incident that causes Captain Kirk to be within this body known as the Nexus. And it's it's a really good plot. Is it a movie plot? Mm. Mm, yeah, that's sort of where it, it kind of falls apart, really, doesn't it? And I, I think there were some members of the cast that were slightly disappointed by things because there was meant to be more of the original series cast within the movie. Uh, you know, DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy were like, nah, I, I think I'm good. I think we said all we need to say with uh, with the last movie. And, you know, the, the producer was like, yeah, they said they could buy us in the last movie, so we don't really need them here. But, like, the... TNG cast when they got on set didn't know that they were under the impression that there was going to be all of the original cast there so Whoopi Goldberg in particular was very unhappy to learn that Uhura was not going to be in the movie because she had like built this whole expectation of we're going to get to be on screen together and that is now no longer the case yeah I mean you've also got the Sulu incident where it's like well George Takei is not coming back but hey here's his daughter or his character's daughter and the absence of DeForest Kelly is also why Chekhov has suddenly taken the medical role. <laughs> exactly. The film did very well, though. You know, $118 million at the box office off a $35 million budget. So it's not the biggest movie of 1995, as we'll come to find as we go through the rest of this. But still, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Also, some great practical effect shots. The, uh, the Enterprise saucer section crashing at the end. Is awesome. I also love how kind of when they get the initial impact everyone on the bridge gets thrown all over the place and they get their way back to their feet and they're hanging on as the kind of enterprise is doing the slow long grind towards the cliff and then when it finally stops they all get thrown ass over tea kettle a second time which is accurate but also kind of funny i also just i love it as well because i've been watching trailers for all of these movies like as i've been doing kind of research for it and stuff and there are some films that we're going to come to that have got some early cgi in them and that early CGI is fucking bollocks. And I think it is a, a great example of the fact that practical effects can still look really, really good if done really well and are actually better than some of the new modern stuff that uh, plagued some of the films that we get to talk about later on. I mean, there is some CGI work I seem to remember in Generations, but it's sympathetically used. It's not dominating and they're not doing it at the expense of practical effects. Exactly. We've got some big music news, though. While Celine Dion was top of the pops, February 1st, 1995 is the official date that Richie from the Manic Street Preachers goes missing. Hi, I'm Carolyn Lilipali, and this is the news at night. First, British police are anxious to find Manic Street Preachers guitarist Richie James, who has been missing for the past two weeks. Richie has not been seen since he left a hotel in London on the morning of the 1st of February. It is known that on the same day he visited his home in the Welsh city of Cardiff, where his car has also disappeared. Family and friends are concerned for Richie's safety, as he has a history of depression. Last year, the Manic Street Preachers were forced to play selected concerts as a three-piece, whilst Richie received treatment at a private clinic for nervous exhaustion. Ah, oh, I don't know why. I, I was about to say, I thought it was later, and then this little bit of my brain went, it's 1995, dickhead. And I'm like, oh yeah, wait, time is compressed when you're covering it on a podcast. I was surprised when it came up in this as well. Like, he went missing on February 1st, and he is now, I believe, he's officially presumed dead. And that was of november 2008 although there have been uh, sightings of him 
uh, in the, the years after he went missing in 1995 and even in recent times as well, but all of them are sort of unsubstantiated. The last sort of like details that were like really concrete was on February 14th, where his Vauxhall Cavalier was found at a service station by the uh, Seven Bridge. And it, it had been lived in. There were photos of him and his family within there. And because the service station is so close to the Seven Bridge, which is a known suicide spot, that was when the we just think he killed himself. And that was sort of like the police's sort of line on it for so long, even though his family have sort of fought that for years, being like, that's not what he would have done. And there's a lot of like sort of strange and erratic behavior that he was doing in the in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. It's such a strange and sad occurrence. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Manics. Not quite as big a fan as Dominic, but I am a big fan of the Manic Street Preachers. I like the stuff that, from when Richie was in the band, but I really love the stuff that came afterwards. And I have very complicated feelings about that because would they have turned into the band they became from Everything Must Go Onwards if Richie was still there and portraying an active part in, in the creative process. I don't know, because there is a lot of Richie still in Everything Must Go. But then by the time you get to um, If You Tolerate This and, and, and onwards from there, it's then very much a different and more progressive and just as political but more thoughtful, mm. I guess, um, perspective. And I kind of liken it to Pink Floyd, uh, Sid Barrett disappearing. Although with him, he just kind of left and was around, you know, for a good few years and even turned up occasionally when they were recording uh, Wish You Were Here. But creatively, it was the catalyst for the band going in a different direction. And again, I like the stuff from when Sid was in Pink Floyd, but I love the stuff from afterwards. Mm. Uh, I, I do like to believe that Richie is still bumming around out there somewhere in the south of France. I, I like to believe that he just got out of the rat race and is living a quiet, hermit-like existence and will never be bothered again. Yeah. I mean, if he ever decides to, to show up or whoever it is, like he was being paid all of his royalties. It was being paid into an account in his name. So there is a large chunk of change waiting there. Uh, the last little bit of music news from the month of February 1995, and this is actually quite pertinent to something that's going to be released on Disney Plus over here in the UK in the next couple of days. Tommy Lee marries Pamela Anderson on February 19th. And you can now watch a questionable docudrama on it on Disney+. Plus. There's an expression that feels weird in 2022, or indeed any time. It's weird, isn't it? Because, like, it makes sense that it's on Hulu in the States. It makes no sense that it's on Disney Plus here in the UK. Even under the star banner, it still makes no sense. Yeah, it, it is odd seeing some of the stuff that you see on Disney Plus under the star banner. It's like, oh, cool, I can go and watch Jack Bauer torture people on Disney Plus. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then, I, then I'll watch 101 Dalmatians. Uh, what have we got in the magazines covering this period? Well, in the magazine, we've got CES closes with a whimper. Despite the state of play with the world of video games and the fact that this year should see the launch of the Saturn and the PlayStation, the CES, one of the world's largest computer and video game shows, had nothing on either of them or Nintendo's Ultra 64, which is fast gaining a mythical status. The mega corporations behind all these machines are obviously hoping that their 16-bit machines still flog a couple of copies before they steamroller them with new machines. That's fascinating because can mm. you imagine in today, like, we're what? We're five months away, four or five months away from the Saturn hitting these shores and not that much more for Sony. You can't imagine Microsoft or Sony nowadays or Nintendo just going, now nah, we'll leave it. Yeah. Expos, their own big events or online hostings. It, yeah. 
absolutely mad. But one Nintendo machine that is due to make an appearance is the Virtual Boy. <laughs> Isn't it just? Oh boy, and it lasts less than a year. After many months of rumours, Nintendo's new portable machine is finally on the way. The Virtual Boy, as it is known, will be launched stateside in the summer, with a UK release to follow shortly. The system is being hawked around as portable virtual reality, although expectations of virtual worlds and so on are hard to imagine. As you can see from the pictures, you stick your head in the headset and the images are whacked onto the eye screens. The system will also feature full stereo sound. The 32-bit machine offers red on black graphics but in a true 3D environment. Even though Nintendo reckons the system will offer, and I quote, incredible graphics, depth and realism, it's hardly going to be the fashion accessory that the Game Boy became. Reports from our people at the show have been quite scathing of the new unit, partly because the majority of its 32 bits are used up displaying the two slightly different images on two separate screens. The games being planned so far are Super Mario VB, Space Pinball and Telero Boxing, with three more to follow. The first Virtual Boy will hopefully be in the shops by autumn, with a price tag below £200. Ooh, £200, man. And that Mario Brothers game is literally just the arcade Mario Brothers game uh, with, you know, uh, two fields of playing. And that is, I think, one of the biggest problems with the Virtual Boy. It's not virtual. It's a 3D boy. And portable it ain't. Awful, awful stuff, that thing. It was, you know, I, I think a, a, a good idea. Terrible execution. Shouldn't have been released. No. A friend of mine has got one with a near-complete collection of games because there are about 16 games <laughs> released for it. It's quite an easy collection to complete if you can get hold of some of the rarer ones. Um, I've got Chris Scullion's Super Nintendo Guide, and that has the Virtual Boy games just rolled into the back because it's like, meh, it's a few extra pages. Exactly. The Wario Land game on it is actually pretty good. Uh, it is way better than the Waterworld game. Elsewhere in the magazine, there's a massive feature on the Judge Dredd movie, as well as the history of the comic and the new game coming out. Massive amount of press for Judge Dredd, which also carries on into the recently launched or about to be launched SFX magazine. That was another magazine that I started buying on the reg from its launch. Also future publishing. And of course, the magazine most commonly known for covering up the bottom of the F on their logo. Because then, Luke, it looked like you were buying a magazine called Sex. With a picture of Judge Dredd on the front. Or Gillian Anderson. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what they were more going for by the time they, uh, they rolled that around. We can talk about Judge Dredd a little bit when we get into the series, because there's a bit on Judge Dredd. I think in one of the internet-based episodes, uh, going to the Judge Dredd website, I was listening to a really, really interesting uh, interview on Best Movies Never Made with one of the writers on the Judge Dredd script that didn't get used. It's a, fa it's a really, really brilliant interview. Also, a very interesting guy himself. Oh, wow. It's, it's a two-parter. It's not specifically a Judge Dredd one. I think it's him talking about his AVP script, and then he goes into talking about sort of like some of the other projects that he did that didn't get made. His first experience of going uh, on a film set was his dad woke him up one morning and said, put your coat on, we're going out. It's sort of like half four in the morning or something. And they drove down to London, and they snuck him onto the set of Return of the Jedi. Uh, elsewhere in this magazine, and this is where the problem begins, Games Master magazine is, as they think they blow their own horn about very shortly, becoming the biggest selling games magazine in the UK. We have Mortal Kombat 3 development diaries. We have an interview with Dave Perry. No, not that Dave Perry, the other Dave Perry, where they're talking about Earthworm Jim, Earthworm Jim 2, and even giving you the opportunity 
to win the chance to design the ending to Earthworm Jim 2. That is how much clout Games Master Magazine seems to have at this point. And the problem is, we're in what? We're February at the moment, yeah? Mm -hmm. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six tabs in this magazine. And it's not that there are only six interesting things. It's just a case of, these are, this is my shortlist. And even yeah. of those, I'm only going to be picking two or three by the time you actually get to hear this on the edit. There's a lot of these magazines missing from the Internet Archive. I think as a post-show task, me getting these scanned and uploaded is definitely on the to-do list because, oh, there's some good stuff in here. There's some really good in-depth stuff in here. But as a last couple of pieces from this issue of the magazine, I'm just going to go to the review section. Because we talked about Star Trek Generations starring one Malcolm McDowell, we also have Wing Commander 3 reviewed in this very issue starring Malcolm McDowell and it gets 94 for graphics, 92 for sound, 95 for gameplay, 94 for lifespan for an overall score of 93%. That's pretty good going for Wing Commander. You know, it's, it's first foray into the, uh, the, the movie world that it was doing as opposed to it being the sprite-based game that it was previously massive massive undertaking um and you know it led to chris roberts getting the wing commander movie eventually when we get to the the end of the end of the millennium yeah and one last review i want to highlight because it was our number one film for the gore special stargate for the snares how do you think this fared luke it's a platformer on the snares it's a movie tie-in uh i'm gonna guess i'm i'm between 68 and 72 well graphics got 86 pretty good going Sound got 73, saying it's a little weak on the sound side of things. The gun effects beefing up and the music gets annoying after a while. Wow, the copy in this magazine has actually gone downhill. The gun effects beefing up. <laughs> There's a word missing there, Luke. It's the uh, it's the UK's biggest uh, games magazine, Ash. Well, actually, given the typos, it's the game's biggest. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. Uh, 86 for gameplay, saying it's very easy to get into, clear-cut objectives and merciless killing. What more could you want? Lifespan, 85%, saying it's a very big game and a real challenge. Acclaim have pulled this out of the bag. Stargate is a solid action game that actually improves on its source material. Cracking stuff, 84%. And that was from Les. Wow, I lowballed that massively. I'm going to go and check this out because I'm looking at it going, I can't believe it's actually that good. Yeah, totally, right? I've never played it in all fairness, so I was judging that on Games Master's previous track record. And they were kind of a bit disparaging on the movie itself. Particularly Kurt Russell's haircut. That's entirely justified. To be fair, we were disparaging on Kurt Russell's haircut. Also, just want to point out, while the consultation zone may be dead, it still lives on in the magazine. We've still got some life in this name yet. Moving into March, and because Star Trek Generations dominated so much of it, we only have one film to cover, which is Immortal Beloved. And there's not a lot to say about it other than Gary Oldman plays Beef Oven. And we've actually got one song to talk about as well, which is Cher, Chrissy Hind, Nene Cherry, and Eric Clapton's Love Can Build a Bridge, which was number one for a week. Love Can Build a Bridge, as long as it's not used to vaccinate people. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that, that unfortunately slightly ties into March 26th. Easy E died of AIDS, uh, is our um, a bit of news there. Uh, in the gaming world, March saw the release of Game Boy's Play It Loud series, where they released funky colors and designs for the Game Boy so you can play it loud. Now, I had the original Game Boy, but then when I got a Game Boy Pocket, that was when I got something that was a bit funky coloured. I got the red Game Boy Pocket. That was actually my favourite classic Game Boy because 
whilst I think, you know, obviously that was towards the end of its lifespan, it actually fit into my school blazer pocket without ruining the lining. Although I quite like the high-tech transparent one of the, the US guts. I always oh, like a transparent handheld. I, I, I like transparent. I mean, the, the, um, the RG350 we both got was the transparent one. Mm-hmm. And the uh, I, I, one of the main reasons I bought the anniversary pad for the Xbox Series X, it's transparent and green, Luke. <laughs> it's literally born from the Matrix. Uh, have we got anything interesting in the magazines? Because when we were much in the, the film and TV worlds. Well, Luke, satellite TV is cool, but satellite games would be even cooler. And that's what Nintendo are planning with their latest Japanese launch. It's the Satellaview. It's the name of the system which hooks a normal snares into a satellite which will enable you to download games for next to nothing. I mean, next to nothing, it's a fucking expensive system. But the system is initially being launched in Japan and to hook up you will need to buy this startup base unit. The unit is on sale for only £100 and comes complete with everything needed to get the system up and running. The whole thing will run on the Giga Satellite channel and the gaming channel will be run from 4 to 7pm every day. Companies developing software at first will be Square and Nintendo themselves, although the likes of Konami, Taito and Data East are also currently taking a close look at the system. Now, I just said Taito. Now, I remember you educated me on the pronunciation. Am I right on that or was it yeah, something Yeah, you, you are right on that. Yeah, Taito. Taito. It seems unlikely that this exact system will appear in the UK, but after taking a lot of flack over the last month, the new product at least shows that Nintendo are still in the game big time and that broadcast gaming will be here soon. Less soon. Yeah, less soon. I, I still think that you know, there's a big push for this sort of thing. You know, Mega Drive had their push for it as well. Or I should say you had their push for it as well with the Mega Drive. Nintendo had this push for it here. I just don't think it really becomes a thing for quite some time. Although I do appreciate the uh, the the moxie and I appreciate the ambition. Absolutely. Uh, and Nintendo are at their best when they're innovating. Sometimes they score a home run, sometimes they don't. But I mentioned Games Master Magazine saying that about their, you know, huge ratings it was actually in this issue, and the official figure for issues of Games Master magazine sold each month has roared into backslapping country at an enormous 60,160 copies. Not bad. Not bad. I was one of them. Its nearest competitor has 38,791. They're nearly doubling. Well, another, and they're not naming the rivals, but they're like, another rival has only managed a cringeworthy 32,162. So yeah, 60,160 adding up to 721,920 copies a year. It's almost three quarters of a million copies. That is absolutely bonkers yeah very very well done and very well deserved as well because for all of its copy errors it's a good magazine games master i was i remember really really enjoying it when i was a nipper and they didn't pull punches i mean there was no. an article here talking about the fact the jaguars um getting its price slashed to 149 talking about the launch of the jaguar cd and even the tagline for it is 300,000 jags sold worldwide will the cd add-on be too little too late yes and yes but they're not afraid to kind of like court controversy. Amazing when you consider, as we discussed, the Gore special was essentially Jaguar propaganda. It's not so much biting the hand that feeds you as slapping your nuts into it and going, ha ha, teabag. I was a Mega Drive owner. I only owned a Mega Drive, but I always preferred multi-format magazines. And for me, like Games Master was the best of those multi-format mags. They're not completely without the possibility of bribery or favoritism. Definitely not, actually. I mean, there's oh, some... Yeah. There are some articles and some moments on the TV show where we're like, oh, we can tell where the money was coming from here. 
but they're not going to encourage a console war. Exactly, Even yeah. if they do occasionally really come out in favour of one side over the other. Quickly dipping into the reviews, uh, we've got a review of Earthworm Jim's special edition for the Mega CD, which gets a whopping 93%. Great game. Uh, the Mega CD version also very, very good with a smooth as butter soundtrack. Sounds oh, gorgeous yeah. on the Mega CD. Yeah, Red Book Audio Sound, one of my favourite ways to experience it. Uh, Dark Forces for the PC. You remember how much love that seemed to get on the show? Mm-hmm. Magazine equals it here. Graphics 95, Sound 88, Gameplay 90, Lifespan 95. Overall, 95%. Well, well earned as well. More than just a Doom clone. I mean, even the box out from Simon Corain says, I first saw this last year at LucasArts and I remember thinking, bloody hell, that looks good. Then when the office emptied, I had a little go myself and thought, bloody hell, that was fun. And nothing's changed. The game is still great. And I keep saying bloody when I talk to myself. Some things never change, but it is a great game. A lot of fun. And it's so much more than a Doom clone. I wanted to highlight a game that I think is often overlooked. It's listed here as the Fireman. It's for the SNES. Oh, that game rules. But here we are kind of getting towards late cycle for the SNES. And we have some innovative games. It gets 87%, so it didn't break the 90. But as we've discussed, even up to 75%, you're still willing to give it a bit of a bit of a tickle. Yeah, it's an easy recommendation. I didn't get to play that until latter day. Well, until emulation. Obviously, I didn't get to play it at the time. But it was a really, really fun game. I think I remember seeing it in Super Play, and it equally just appealed to me because it's a game that does it does something different. Last review for this one: it's not a Doom clone. In fact, it's more of a flying game. It's Descent for the PC on floppy disk. Still getting floppies on the go. Yeah, and Les is big up on this game in the box out, saying, "I think a moment silence is called for. The end of an era has arrived. It was much loved and will be sadly missed. I'm all choked up." My old friend Doom has finally met its match. Descent is just fab, a flying Doom game par excellence. Mind you, it hasn't got the blood that Doom had, but it has got all those lovely network capabilities because Descent was big about its networking. Descent does take a little getting into, but it's worth persevering, and as soon as it dawns on you that you are in fact playing one of the shoot-em-ups of the decade. The only thing against this game is that you need a pretty beefy PC to run it on, but that's nothing new these days. It's nothing new now. Mm Mm-hmm. Descent is a great game, and yes, much as I hate to say it, it's a Doom Beater. Great stuff. I'd argue about it being a Doom Beater, but I can see why he might think that, because it was a breath of fresh air, and the ability to kind of do a first-person shooter, but with kind of a full flying mechanic, it's quite tempting. But it got 95% for graphics, 89% for sound, 94% for gameplay, 92% for lifespan, 95%. I've never played it, you know. It, it would be on my two-play list, though, because I really would like to. And was, I was just thinking, then, like, why did I never play this at the time? And then you said, you need a beefy PC. And I'm like, oh, that'll be why I never played it then. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, it, I've never actually had a go on it, but I always wanted to. Now, of course, all these issues are ones that uh, I acquired off eBay. My original issues that I did have long since gone to a flood at my family home. But inside one of these issues from this era is the 
Games Master Reader Questionnaire. And this one's been filled in. Mm. No name, so we don't know who by. But we do get a bit of an insight into what the potentially average Games Master Reader was like back then. Although, admittedly, we also know us. But this is someone not us. We so might this not is a different be... person. Yeah. Uh, this person is subscribed to Games Master. And it kind of does the standard down the list asking you to rate and rank things. So you have to rank the following sections. News gives it three on a scale of zero to three. Gives the previews two. The reviews three the hints, tips and cheats three, and the letters two. So he's pretty much a hardcore kind of lover of the Games Master magazine. I mean, if he's a subscriber, you'd expect it. Mm -hmm. He reads the magazine cover to cover, spends on average two to three hours reading it, and also shares it with two to three other people. (gasps) Sharing it around. Yeah, much like the magazines you find in Hedros. What will he do with this copy of Games Master when he's finished it? Sell it on eBay. Well, keep it for reference, but then sell it on eBay. Which other console titles do you read? And what score out of 10 would you give them? Occasionally reads Ultimate Future Games, another future title, 9 out of 10. Reads Edge, occasionally, 7 out of 10. It's it's, it's quite grown up is Edge, isn't it? Big words in that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a very Edge review score for Edge. (laughs) C&VG, occasionally, Six out of ten. Ooh, the old guard. That's my kids, that one, isn't it? Uh, Next question is, what console title do you like best, including Games Master? And it's Ultimate Future Games, although, crossed out, Sega Saturn. Well, I wonder if, because that is quite a a confusing question, isn't it? Because when I read that, or when you read it to me, I thought that was, what is your favourite console? Not, what is your favourite magazine? So maybe yeah. he saw that and was like, it's a ma- the magazine I'm most, sorry, the console I'm most looking forward to is Sega Saturn. And then I was, oh no, I've misread the question. Now, it asks what equipment he owns, like what games, consoles or platforms. He owns a master system and tick box next to other. Now, given that we also see Game Boy, Game Gear, Mega Drive, Mega 32X, NES, SNES, Ultra 64, Neo Geo CD, Jaguar, Saturn 3DO, PlayStation, I'm guessing other might be Amiga or maybe Specky or Commodore 64. Is the sorry? I just could double check again. Was the Jaguar listed? It was. What about the Philips CDI? No, because you never know. He may have fallen into the the greatest graphics you've ever seen in your life, Boulder Dash from Series Three, and got himself a CDI. He's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. I feel for him if he did. Thinking of buying in the next twelve months the Ultra sixty four, the Saturn in the next, in the next few months, eh? <laughs> yeah, but the Ultra sixty four, the Saturn, and the three DO. Good lad. Good lad. Excellent. Great choice there. Yeah, not much. <laughs> yeah, he's backing winners all the way there with no <laughs> love for the PlayStation. Oh, it's a fad, Ash. This Sony, they've never, had a, they've never had a foot in the door in the games world. They'll falter within the first few months. What have they ever innovated? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Walkman, Trinitron televisions. Exactly. Well, yeah, maybe they were like, this is just going to be the Betamax of video games. Higher quality, but underappreciated. I mean... Maybe yeah. may, maybe that makes Panasonic the Betamax of this console <laughs> war. But spends between 8 and 14 hours a week playing video games, does have a computer at home, which I guess lends some credence to either PC or Amiga. Yeah. Does play games on it. Bet you it's Doom. Doesn't say what titles plays on the PC, but bought or received three to four console games in the last year, which would be for the Master System by the looks of it. Yeah, I'd imagine probably second hand, right? I would hope so. Favourite types of games include sports sims and football, 
and favourite three games in the last year, FIFA 95, Champion Manager. Hey, Champ Manager, lovely stuff. I was, do you know what I was going to say when he was talking about PC games? I was like, I wonder if one of them's Champ Manager. Bang, straight in there. And WWF Raw. Oh, that's a good lad. Like this guy. And apparently is very easily led by magazines, as he says the reason that he buys a game is a magazine review. Apparently buys games from an independent retailer, does have a building society or bank account, buys music on CD, posh mm, bastard. Posh, yeah, posh bugger. And bought between four and six CD albums in the last year. They're into dance, pop and chart music and rock. And their favourite band last year was Guns N' Roses. There you go. That's not in Smash Hits, that. No, he's well hyped about Chinese democracy. It'll be coming out any day now. (laughs) He visits the cinema two to four times a year. His favourite film last year was Cool Runnings. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it was good. Uh, Cool Runnings. Good films on Disney+. Plus. Not under the star banner. Didn't buy any pre-recorded videos last year. Uses a video rental service less than once a month. What was your favourite video last year? No answer. No love for the VHS revolution. That's a shame. He's waiting for DVD, that's why. Maybe he's a laser disc owner. Maybe. Ah, my assumption that this was a male is appropriate because what sex are you? Male. There we go. There we go. 16 years old, student, receives between four and six pounds pocket money a week. Pocket money at 16? 16? Get a job, mate. I was already working, like probably illegal amounts of hours on a market stall by that point. I'd, I'd, had a, I'd had two jobs by this point when I was 16. Received between 75 and £99 as Christmas money last Christmas. Oh, I mean, you could probably buy the entire Master System library with that sort of cash. Fascinating little snapshot, that. I was. I very much enjoyed that. To get your Tango Doll, call this number now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Turn that music down a bit. Oops, wrong button. What now? Now we hit the hut. Get a Thunderbirds cup, a kid's soft drink, and a kid's cheese and tomato pizza for $2.99. Yes, John? Hey, guys, you haven't forgotten about me, have you? Coming right up. For a Thunderbirds meal, hit the hut. into april we had just cause at the top of the box office not a huge amount to say about that because we want to talk about the big movie of april 1995 dumb and dumber without a doubt the most intelligent enlightening motion picture experience of a lifetime good day mate i laughed till i stopped a movie filled with actors scenery and talking see it with someone who knows how to get to the theater dance to the beat of a different drummer boy provocative compelling and other big words i got worms movies come and go but this one's here right now dumb and dumber rated pg-13 the farrelly brothers debut movie it was one of the big three for jim carrey across 94 and 95 and uh, a movie that I was obsessed with when I was uh, a kid. There was like, I mean, Jim Carrey was like, he was my guy because you had The Mask, you had Ace Ventura, and you had this sort of like completing the trilogy. And it was just, I loved it so, so much. And actually to this day, there are moments of it that will still make me laugh. I have seen it, but I couldn't tell you much about it. I, I, like, like, I, I probably have not watched it since the mid-90s. I liked a lot of Jim Carrey movies. This one just didn't strike me. I think maybe that's where the few years between has come. It's not to say that I was above this movie. It was just my tastes were getting darker and edgier. I was already going, hey, look at that Kevin Smith motherfucker. Yeah, this is, it is very much a mainstream comedy movie. Uh, I think Carrie's great in it. I think Daniels uh, is really, really great in it as well. He was not the first choice either. Like They were really gunning to not have jeff daniels take on the role of harry to the point where because new line didn't want him so much they gave him a real lowball offer amount it's only 50 grand to do the movie and it was such a small paltry offer that they were like there's no way he'll take it and then he did so they were they took him on the person they actually really wanted to do the role was nicholas cage and but Nicolas Cage was trying to highball them. He wanted an extra two million on top of the what they'd already offered him. And then Jeff Daniels instead did it for fifty k. Wow, what a different movie it would have been with Nick Cage in the role. It would have been like fucking face off. It would have been way different. It wasn't the only alternative casting for the movie as well. Steve Martin, Martin Short were also turned down the roles of Lloyd Christmas. Gary Oldman was a choice to play Harry, as was Chris Elliott and Rob Lowe. 
it got an animated show which wasn't particularly great it got a prequel which is terrible and a sequel which is even worse but my favorite factoid about this movie is that it's got a great soundtrack as dumb and dumber Hmm. beck was approached to have loser as part of the soundtrack uh he said in an interview i remember getting a phone call one day my manager said there's a film they want to use loser as the theme song there was a long pause and he said the film is called dumb and dumber and i just remember that sums up what the world thinks of me at this point i tried to have fun with it tried not to take it too serious but at the same time it was a little disheartening oh yeah Poor bugger. At the top of the pops, we had Take That Back For Good for a whole four weeks. But, oh, a song I absolutely loved. The Out Here Brothers, Don't Stop Wiggle Wiggle. It's not the only song we're going to hear from the Out Here Brothers in this podcast episode. But yeah, what a tune it was. Boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say whale. Whale. And that's the other track as well. We get that in a couple of months' time. Amazing. I'll I'll tell the anecdote now. Uh, I have seen the Out Here Brothers live because this uh, you know, very much puts me in a time frame and an age. They played my student union during one of like the Leavers discos. I didn't intentionally, I wasn't going, I was there as part of student radio, and they were the big acts. There was them and Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly with the sort of the two big acts, and the Out Here Brothers were there for the nostalgia pop. Just do Don't Stop Wiggle Wiggle and Boom Boom Boom. And they had their backing tracks on cassette so there was a mad scramble to find a cassette player that would be able to play it and then the cassette broke wow yeah halfway through don't stop wiggle wiggle it was it was quite a tragedy to see actually and i felt really bad for them did they go a cappella? Uh, they just came off stage oh it was tragic so so tragic hated to see it i don't think i've got any stories that are equal to that to that i can't even like i'm not even going to attempt <laughs> over in the tv world on april 2nd bbc one aired the final episode of brum for now uh, 21st of april channel 4 what a night this must have been for channel 4 channel 4 airs the first episode of british comedy series father ted there's father jack he gets a kind of waxy build-up in his ears it's great going away because we're never short of candles and as for this cabbage that's father Dougal. how on earth did all that get there I didn't even shave this morning. Together with their tireless leader... It's great being a priest, isn't it, Ted? They're never afraid to take a stand. Done with this sort of thing. Careful now. It's like nowhere you've ever experienced. Thank heaven. Drop in on the world of Father Ted, starting Friday the 21st of April on 4. And then one week later, had the debut of Friends and ER. And Channel 4 was the place to be. I mean, Wasn't it, it we just? Had- we had Games Master, we had all the imports, we had Father Ted, we had Euro Trash. Oh. It really was the place to be. Ellen was on Channel 4 as well. Sean's show? Yeah. Cheers, I first saw on there. Frasier. And lastly, in the TV news, 29th of April, the final edition of What's Up Doc is broadcast. It was followed the next Saturday by Scratchy and Co. Mm. End of an era for What's Up Doc. What's Up Doc with Naughty Torty and the Wolf Brothers. And oh God, What's Up Doc was great because it had the power of Warner Brothers behind it. You had your Batman, your Tasmania, your Tiny Toons. Oh yeah, that was that was my Saturday mornings. Watching BTAS, watching Animaniacs, watching Pinky in the Brain. Taz, I loved Tasmania. 
and Tiny Toon Adventures. Tiny, that, that was where I saw how I spent my summer vacation. Saturday mornings, I used to watch the BBC offering, but I'd record the ITV one because the BBC one would be disposable. But the ITV one was always the one that was going to have the stuff that probably wouldn't get repeated or that then might, might be a bit controversial because WhatsApp Doc went really close to the knuckle on a number of times for kids TV. So yeah, so I used to record one and watch the other. Uh, have we got anything in the magazines worth noting? Following a startling report by the Monopolies and Mergers Commission, both Nintendo and Sega cartridges look set to plummet in price. The report was issued on the 9th of March and featured in all the major national newspapers the following day, threatening to impose price controls on the two giants. The commission report said that because the companies had such a stranglehold over the video game arena, being the two main contenders, they were able to control the prices at which games sold and make them unnecessarily high. It was the result of a mammoth 14-month investigation and it looked very likely that prices will fall and the two companies have got three months to act before the MMC starts taking a hardline. Nintendo faxed Games Master magazine within hours of the report's release and said that although they will study the report, they reject that their pricing has been excessive. I mean, that's a very Nintendo response. But what did Sega have to say about it? Uh, they said that the commission failed to appreciate the nature of technology. And so did Sega. But the thing is, like that basically sounds like both Nintendo and Sega are, are telling the Monopolies and Mergers Commission to go eat one. Despite that, Games Master Magazine continues this can only be great news for games players. Lowering the price of cartridges could well affect the future pricing of next generation CDs, as well as making the Mega Drive and the SNES two of the most enviable machines on the shelves. Hopefully the price drop will be somewhere around the 20% mark, a 10 or 50 pound games, but we wouldn't be able to tell you for a couple of months yet. I don't remember Nintendo prices dropping, but then again, I bought most of my Nintendo games used. But I, I mean, that's the thing with the PlayStation. I do remember most of the PlayStation titles I bought being in the 40 to 45 region mark rather than the 50 to 60 region mark of some of the cartridges. Because CDs are so much cheaper to produce that they were able to sort of like because i was i was going to say then n64 cartridge prices i remember still being very very expensive when they came out like more expensive than you would have paid the for, for playstation games at the very least now an interesting rarity here for games master magazine we've got a world exclusive review of an arcade game mm. i mentioned the mortal Kombat development diaries here we have a one two three four five a six-page review of Mortal Kombat 3 in the arcade, followed by another one, two, three-page update on Mortal Kombat and its development. Wow. They must have had a really good connection then with Midway that, you know, part of sort of like all of this coverage they will get, they will give it this huge big review when it comes into the magazine as well. Yeah, it is absolutely... I mean, that's why I'm not going to go into it too much now because I genuinely think if I correlate all these together, scan them so you've got access to them, going over the Mortal Kombat development via the magazine scans could be definitely a fun inter-season episode. Um, I mean, Mortal Kombat 1 was big. Mortal Kombat 2 was big. The hype for 3 was crazy because also the first Mortal Kombat of the next gen. Yeah, I was gonna, well, maybe it is an episode that we could do. I mean, what we're having now is a production meeting in our podcast record, but maybe it is we can do it as a bonus episode when we reach it effectively in the time. Oh, we would have passed in the timeline, won't we? When we get the home release. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe when we get the home release for it, we could do it then. Now, the game comes out and gets reviewed in the magazine in the October issue. So maybe when we get to that in the timeline, which actually isn't that far away, maybe we can come back and look at this because graphics 99, sound 94, gameplay 97, lifespan 96, overall 
96%. We're expecting something very special and Mortal Kombat 3 has surpassed our expectations. The best beat-em-up in history. Yeah, this feels like... I mean, there's so much there to talk about, so much to dive into. I feel like that that could be a fun bonus episode to do because we we you know we kind of got to do it a little bit with series three the first episode which was the mortal kombat special i think it'd be quite nice to get one done for mk3 too yeah definitely and then of course we've got the fun of ultimate mortal kombat 3 a bit later moving into may uh, not a huge amount to say when it comes to box office movies because there's quite a few of them within may and all of them getting sort of like one week runs uh we had outbreak circle of friends and rob roy outbreak being the uh, my favorite film of those three because it's about monkeys in it monkeys and viruses great and there's a really funny joke about that in clerks the animated series due to the recent lawsuit by dustin hoffman over the alleged unauthorized use of his likeness the face of dustin hoffman in randall's cartoon brain calculation will be played by al pacino Oh my god, it's happening. Just like in that Al Pacino movie. However, in the chart music, we have got Oasis, some might say, for a week, Live in Joy's Dreamer for a week, and then for seven weeks, which covers all through June as well, it's Robson and Jerome's Unchained Melody. Cannot get rid of it. Oh, we dodged a fucking bullet there, mate. We really did. Yeah, didn't we just? The uh, only thing I wanted to mention on Outbreak very quickly is that there is a fascinating making of history behind that movie because, you know, it's based on The Hot Zone, the, the nonfiction book. And the idea was they were going to do this film called Crisis in the Hot Zone. And it never it went through so many different iterations and so many different things it's covered in i think it's in best sci-fi movies never made or development or tales from development hell it's in either one of those two but it's really really interesting to dive into and eventually the movie we got out of it in the end was outbreak which i i've got quite a bit of love for i quite enjoy outbreak but it is one of those movies where the making of is probably more interesting than the film itself like a lot of people, for some reason at the beginning of this pandemic, I decided to watch a lot of plague-based movies. I don't know why. Outbreak was one of them. I actually bloody love Outbreak. Great, isn't it? It's a great movie, but it did, I think, give a lot of people uh, unreasonable expectations of how long this pandemic would last, <laughs> or indeed how long until there'd be a vaccine. I mean, the fact that we got one as quickly as we did is fairly <laughs> amazing. But, you know, Dustin Hoffman had it wrapped up in less than two hours. What are you playing at? Uh, last note I've got for May is on the 9th of May. The US Canadian police comedy drama Due South makes its British television debut on BBC One. When two worlds collide. Frazier, there's a baby in my car. There certainly is. A family. What are you and I going to offer this kid except a whole lot of nothing? Get me my baby! And the law. I think there's nothing as attractive as a man with baby formula on his sleeve. Yep, it's vomit, all right. Something's gotta give. But cloth diapers, how do you prevent them from leaking? Spag the moss. Just make sure that you check for bugs. Due South, Friday, 8 o'clock on BBC One. Oh, stay tuned for a UCP Extra on Due South. I'm like, I, I want to cover that show. I love Due South. Uh, wouldn't have stayed its full run without the help of the BBC and I think a German broadcasting company. They basically helped keep it afloat because it did shit numbers in America. I basically just had that note there for your benefits and, may and, and maybe two other listeners. <laughs> no, no, at least five. <laughs> and in the magazine this month, one of the things they do cover is the fact that we could be looking at a price hike for the next gen consoles due to the strength of the yen. It's, they they summarise it as saying it's been doing a bit of a take that in the currency charts. Basically, 
just dominating. But because the pound isn't worth as many yen as it used to be, the prices of the machines could go up accordingly. Although Sega have yet to name their UK price, they have hinted strongly that the Saturn would launch in America at between $350 and $400, with a UK price of around £400. And if the yen remains as strong as it is at present, then a price of £425 could turn out to be optimistic, according to trade magazines. Sega even commented themselves, saying the strength of the yen will hurt us as far as the Saturn goes, but we are committed to bringing it in for around £400 if we can. It's more likely to affect our business plans for the year as a whole. It's weird seeing a finance article in a games magazine, but real credit, real, real credit to uh, Games Master Magazine for featuring that because it is very relevant. It's also the sort of news story for, I mean, like at the time, obviously, you know, it is, it's interesting, right? Like, you know, they're putting in the magazine, but I think actually now with us doing this as a historical piece, that's really interesting because that is like news stories that would have just never been talked about. So yeah, I, I appreciate it sort of like from two aspects. Meanwhile, we've also got news, which is interesting given where they are now, but it's announced that Nintendo have bought 25% of UK developer Rare. Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly enjoyed the work that they did on Donkey Kong Country. You know that. You know when we did that VHS uh, release of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know the, the tiny amount of work that they did. They went to the zoo that one time, and that was it. And that did. Then Nintendo did everything else. But guess what? They get to go to the zoo again because they're working on Donkey Kong Country Two and Donkey Kong Land for the Game Boy. That's at least two trips to the zoo, Luke. Oh, fan, fantastic! What a nice little Wednesday that will be. And a Thursday, two trips. Well, you don't want to go back to back. Space them out. Go a couple of months later, might have new animals at that point. Well, upgraded the animals. Well, yeah, you never know. Like, uh, you know, the graphics between Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2. That's fair. Hey, guess what? We've upgraded our pandas. (laughs) They have sex now. Uh, A bit of a non-article that import PlayStations won't work. Basically, region locking. It's a Mm -hmm. thing. But also news that Sony are already working on the successors for the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2. Are they now? Apparently, we'll be looking and getting the PS2 in 1998. Will we now? And the PS3 won't be until 2003. Yeah, a few years off on either. But I can actually entirely believe that they were already looking ahead, certainly to the PS2 by this point, because they knew they were making bank in their home country. Dominic is still ranting, this time setting his aims at mascots. We've got Earthworm Jim, Donkey and Diddy, Pac-Man, Mario and Sonic under his evil eye. Daytona USA gets a review. 89% for graphics, 75% for sounds, 85% for gameplay, 84% for lifespan. Overall, 84%. That feels a little harsh, but they've also got Ridge Racer. So I guess I can see it. Moving on into June, two big movies to note. And I say big is not quite the right word for this, really. But we've mentioned it a lot in this podcast run, that one of my favorite things about the UK box office in the 90s is sometimes mad films will make it to the top of the box office. And we have two of them in the month of June. Complete failures in the US, but big hits over here at the very least. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight was top of the UK box office in early June. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Demons, hellfire, terror, and death. It's a tale from the crypt that is so terrifying it can only be seen at the movies. Tales from the Crypt presents... A film that 
it's, I mean, it was meant to sort of launch a trilogy of Tales from the Crypt movies, and it didn't. But still, like, you know, a, a, an interesting picture nonetheless. Like, the post-credits essentially tells you, hey, here's the next film that's coming up, which is called Dead Easy. And then, you know, after that, it was going to be Body Count. But just, like, neither of them got made. And, like, Demon Knight was a script that had been written, you know, based on the EC comics before tales from the crypt had even been made and even been produced so it was like bouncing around for a while tom holland the director of child's play had it then mark carducci had it then mary lambert had it but then she went on to do pet cemetery 2 which tanked and then she wasn't getting any interest anymore charles brands full moon pictures had it for a bit before joel silver got a handle on it yeah there was like there was you know, there was quite a lot of production issues that it had, but it's great to see that it made it to the top of the UK box office at the very least, even if it was just for one week. Uh, we also had Man of the House, a very uh, sharp sharp left turn into something a bit more Disney appropriate, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas vehicle. It's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. I did start it, but I didn't finish it. And then, you know, again, these bizarre movies tanked in the US, but for two weeks at the top of the UK box office, we had John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. Whatever he writes. For years, I thought I was making all this up. Whatever he thinks. Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> becomes real. It's about people turning into things. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. The best film in John Carpenter's career, In the Mouth of Madness. Like the book? I love it. Rated R. Oh, there's a fun Sunday afternoon movie. It's Yeah, I mean, like Carpenter has said, it is the third in his Apocalypse trilogy with The Thing and Prince of Darkness. It's not my favourite of, of those three. That would obviously be The Thing. But yeah, it is It is H.P. Lovecraft, essentially, you know, inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, brought to life. And I have got a lot of love for it. You know, made for just under 9 million. It, it barely made back any of its... Or sorry, it made just under 9 million. It barely made back its 8 million budget. It tanked in the US... But it was two weeks at the top of the UK box office and has got maybe my favourite John Carpenter theme. I absolutely love the theme song for In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, that, that guitar lick is so awesome, man. Oh, see, I'm a big fan of They Live. Mm, Just yeah. the dun, 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 dun. I mean, it, it is tough. Like, when I saw carpenter live a few years back they opened with In the Mouth of Madness, and it just, like, it set the tone for the rest of the evening. And even though it's not my favourite Carpenter movie, like, that theme song is just absolutely belting. Oh, that was such a good show. Now, I, I'm so glad I got to see him live. That was just so much fun. Yeah, absolutely wicked. Yeah, I saw him in Brixton, and it was just... Were you, were you, were you at the Brixton show? No, no, no. I was at the Troxy. Yeah. Met the Reverend Peter Laws while queuing for that, who, despite being a very reverend, is also a horror writer and fan. Lovely guy. I could talk about uh, John Major, you know, saying resigning as the leader of the Conservative Party, but pfft, no one wants to hear about that on a video game podcast. Tell me about the video games, Ash. This is very much the E3 issue of Games Master. We're looking at some of the big releases that are being shown from all the major players. Nintendo, we've got previews of Earthworm Jim 2. We've got Donkey Kong Country 2, Killer Instinct for the SNES. 
We've got the coloured Game Boys coming out. There we've they got, are. We've got Doom also coming out in September and the release of the Virtual Boy in August. But the big news for Nintendo was about that Ultra 64, Luke. It's not coming out this year as originally planned. It's been delayed until April 96, giving the opposition a year's head start. But they're confident that they will eat the PlayStation and Saturn for breakfast. Well, you know, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on that. It may happen. But the good news is that the European launch will be almost simultaneous with the US debut. And we've got a little sidebar that tells us about some of the games that will be coming out for the Ultra 64. Doom, as we said, eventually. Mm-hmm. Pilot Wings 2. Yep. Pilot Wings Pilot 64, w- 64, but absolutely. Yep. Killer Instinct. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cruising USA, mm. Red Baron, mm. World War I Flight and Fight Simulator, Mortal Kombat 3. Now, didn't it get Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3? Yes. I mean, maybe Mortal Kombat 3 would have been a release title for it when it was going to be released in 95, but being pushed back to 96, I'd imagine it wouldn't have been a release title. It'd have felt very dated. Oh, apparently we're going to get an Akira game. Are we now? Yeah, and Alien Trilogy. I mean, the Akira game sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, can't wait to play that. And yeah, Alien Trilogy? No. (laughs) Ooh, Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, wow. Skipping over seven, are we? Going straight to Final Fantasy VIII. Fuck seven is all about eight. But Luke, (laughs) shut the front door. Nintendo have won the console war. They're getting Waterworld. (laughs) (laughs) God, that would have felt right at home, wouldn't it? Being released on a new console in 1996. But it's not the most drizzling shit that you can imagine because there's also a preview in this magazine of Rise of the Robots 2. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Sega and E3 were were big pushing the 32X with Virtua Fighter 32X, Rayman 32X with Virtua Fighter 32X and Rayman 32X, as well as covering a game called experts which is apparently the graphics of donkey kong country in a streets of rage style game Mm. also eternal champion cd now eternal champion cd it's unfortunate that that came out after the gore special because that would have been featured heavily in the gore special particularly when it comes to those fatalities because eternal champion cd went off the deep end when it came to fatalities and really went balls to the wall with them they're insane there's also a separate couple of pages for the PlayStation and the Saturn. Sony's big lineup from E3 was ESPN Extreme Games, Virus and Razorwing, and the Saturn had Worldwide Soccer, Virtua Cop, Bug, and Virtua Fighter 2. Uh, so there was no review in that magazine then for Knuckles Chaotix. Like, I wonder if that might be in the July issue, because it's a game that I find to be yeah, quite an interesting one, uh, if only because many people will tell you it's the only game worth owning on the 32X, but also because it's fucking bollocks. I mean, it's it, it isn't a very good game. It's an interesting game in that it was designed to be a Mega Drive game with this with a great title, Sonic Crackers, where you played as Sonic and Tails tethered together by electricity. Then it was moved to the Saturn and given a new name. Then it was moved to the 32X because they realized it wasn't going to be complete in time for the launch of the Saturn. And then they changed the characters to Knuckles and his new team, comprised mostly of existing characters already from the Sega world, like Mighty was from Sega Sonic the Arcade game, Charmy was from the manga, Vector was originally designed to be in the original Sonic game, Espio was the only original character for it. And yeah, like it's, I don't know, man. Like I know there, there are some fans of Knuckles Chaotix, but I think it's a bit shit. And it's really difficult to play because of that tethering mechanic. I've just had a quick flick through this issue and the August issue. It ain't there. 
Mm. But hey, you never know, Luke. It might be in the September issue. We can only hope. Those 32X owners need something to grab hold onto. A stiff drink, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving into July, Beyond Rangoon was top of the box office, but the big movies, two big movies, in fact, in July, we got it for two weeks. Thanks, McDonald's, for giving us this Batman Forever. The criminal in question is a complice in crime, a woman in danger, a partner in training, a hero in black. The adventure begins. Val Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell, Batman Forever. And the reason I said thanks McDonald's is because there was a big McDonald's tie-in for Batman Returns, and then McDonald's saw what the movie was and were like, whoa, this isn't what we want at all. So Warner Brothers were like, whoa, we can't do that again because we need those McDonald's tie-ins. So we got Batman Forever instead. But it did give a seal, kiss from a rose. And you too. You choose Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me as a belting song. Uh, I mean, in fairness to Joel Schumacher, who came on to replace Tim Burton, Tim Burton hated the title of Batman Forever. In fairness to Schumacher, he wanted to do like an adaptation of Batman Year One. He wanted to take inspirations from The Dark Knight Returns, like the Frank Miller style of things that everyone else has now done uh, homages to. But Warner Brothers were like, no, we need to kind of kidify this. We need to brighten it up and things like that. And that is eventually what led Michael Keaton to leaving the project. Keaton, in fact, turned down $15 million to return as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Ethan Hawke was then uh, tied up to do it, to do the film. And then he turned it down and later regretted it. Apparently, other alternatives for Batman were Keanu Reeves, Alec Baldwin, William Baldwin, Dean Cain, Tom Hanks, Kurt Russell, Ray Fiennes, Daniel Day-Lewis, and Johnny Depp. But that may just be a dream wish list of people. Like Kurt Russell would have been fascinating. Dean Cain was playing Superman at the time on TV. And we, yeah, we ended up with Val King Kilmer. We did do indeed, being very, very boring in the role. Uh, Rene Rousseau was originally cast to play Chase Meridian, then replaced when they cast Val Kilmer because they didn't think those two worked well together, which is why we got um, Nicole Kidman instead. Uh, the, the person I feel sorry for in all of this is Billy D. Williams because Billy D. Williams signed on to do Batman 89 because he'd eventually get to play Two-Face. And then he didn't get to play Two-Face in this movie. Instead, he was replaced by Tommy Lee Jones. Although apparently, and again, I, I think this is more just dream wish list casting than actually interested in, and screen tested for, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, Martin Sheen, Willem Dafoe, Nicolas Cage, and Bobby De Niro were, like, were you know, considered to play Two-Face. Bobby De Niro or Cage, that'd be something. Mel Gibson was offered the role, but turned it down to do Braveheart instead. I think that's a smart move. Interestingly for the Riddler, like I always thought it was Jim Carrey's role, but apparently the person who was the front runner for it was Robin Williams. And he was going through negotiations with Warner Brothers to play the role and then discovered that he had been usurped by Jim Carrey by reading the trades that Jim Carrey had been cast and he was no longer in consideration for it. Apparently Mark Hamill was also massively in consideration for the role, but because of the contract he had with doing BTAS and voicing the Joker, he couldn't then go on to play the Riddler on screen. Oh, he'd have been a great Riddler in person as well. To be honest, Robin Williams would have as well. Not so much. Uh, Joel Schumacher uh, said in 2003 that Michael Jackson was lobbying really hard to play the role and he eventually had to turn him down. I think that was a bullet dodged. Yeah, I think so as well. Apparently as well, these again, dream castings, I would imagine, dream, dream considerations. Uh, John Malkovich, Brad Dourif, Kelsey Grammer, 
Matthew Broderick, Phil Hartman, Steve Martin, Adam Sandler, and Rob Schneider. Brad Dourif is an interesting one in there because Tim Burton really wanted him to be in the original movies. Well, he wanted him to play the Joker in the in Batman 89. Oh, he'd have been a good Joker. Marlon Wayans was cast to play Robin and was then uncast to play Robin. Um, so, I mean, Schumacher essentially changed his mind on it. Here are the list of people that were possibly also going to play it before it was Chris O'Donnell. Matt Damon, Corey Hames, Corey Feldman, Mark Warburg, Toby Stevens, Ewan McGregor, Jude Law, Alan Cummings, Christian Bale. Again, I think this is just, they're writing down a list of actors they would like to see. I don't think any of them actually screen tested. I don't think any of them are actually in consideration. It's just the way the movie business works. The, the, what I find fascinating about Batman Forever, because I will come to the defense of Batman Forever. I think it's a better movie than a lot of people give it credit for. It's the Batman movie the studio always wants Is that, like, after Schumacher died in 2020 there were a lot of reports coming out that there is a director's cut of the movie that was what schumacher actually wanted to do with the batman movie which was much darker which was which had a bit more of an edge to it that warner brothers were lightening up because they wanted to appease mcdonald's and some of those reports were very quickly shot down and then all of a sudden there were sort of rumblings coming out of warner brothers that this exists that there is the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. It's much longer. And it's not just the deleted scenes that were on the DVD and stuff. There's loads of deleted scenes on the DVD. This is an actual director's cut of the movie. As of yet, nothing official has been announced. There was like, from DC Fandom last year, they thought they were going to do like an actual release of it. They were going to announce a release of it because Akiva Goldman has said, I've seen it. And it does exist. It's called Preview Cut 1. And there, you know, there may still be a chance that we do get the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. The only thing that I could see holding it back is, of course, Schumacher no longer being with us, which means that suddenly it's not dealing with the uh, desires of one man. It's dealing with his estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And our other big movie that we had in uh, July outside of Casper, of course, is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. If you think you've seen the Power Rangers, let's do it. Think again. I'm going in. Think action. Think adventure. That was close. Think fun. Gotta love it. Rockets away! Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, rated PG. Holy heckins, I could talk about this movie a lot. I literally wrote an article about the making of this, and I interviewed a number of the cast. I interviewed the screenwriters. I interviewed quite a few people uh, working in the production of it. I won't go into all of it now because this podcast is already going long as it is. But yeah, this is a a fascinating little story uh, and a great, great history. I think the most interesting thing to bring up from it, though, is they cast Gabriella Fitzpatrick to play Dulcia. And she was great and they really liked her. Very early on in the production, like in the first week, she got her, she injured herself. She did a kick and she just screamed to high heaven and she was taken off the movie and she was replaced with Mariska Hargitay. So Mariska Hargitay came in and she replaced uh, Fitzpatrick as Dulcia, refilmed all of Fitzpatrick's stuff and filmed all the stuff with Hargitay. They then decided in what was already a overbloated production that they didn't like anything that Hargitay had done. So when Fitzpatrick was better, they refilmed all of the Dulcia scene with Fitzpatrick back in the role again. Although, I mean, Hargitay has definitely got the, I guess, 
Certainly the most consistent career, because, hey, how many years of Law & Order SVU? And she is still in the role. She's the captain now. But because of the delayed production of it, they were shooting the TV show as well as doing the movie as well. Um, so, like, apparently, like, during breaks on the movie, they would go and film the TV show. But it was it was hectic for all accounts. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I'll link the article in the, the podcast description that I wrote for it where I interviewed a bunch of people. Uh, so go give that a read, please. And in the music tracks, we had Out Here Brothers Boom 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 for four weeks. And take that, never forget, for three. Although... On July 17th, Robbie Williams quit Take That. The announcement that Robbie Williams is quitting Take That came as a shock to both fans and the rest of the group, just a month away from starting their British tour. The band's manager said Robbie was leaving because he couldn't give Take That the long-term commitment they needed. Newsround's Stuart Mason reports. He was the smartest one of them all, and that's saying something. Uh, yeah, Robbie was essentially given an ultimatum from the band, either clean up your act because we're a clean cut band or go. And he chose to go. They they split up the following year anyway. Uh, and lastly, I just wanted to make mention for you on July 9th, Grateful Dead play their final show with Jerry Garcia, who then died one month later. Bands that I'd only just gotten into and that like a lot of bands, I'm like, oh, I hope they tour over here. I hope I get to see them live. I mean, realistically, if I wanted to see the Grateful Dead from any period in time, uh, it would probably be the 60s and the 70s because once they hit the 80s, they were still good musicians, but the style changed a bit. Yeah, I, Jerry Garcia was a casualty of the rock and roll lifestyle. It just took a while longer to get to him. Um, he was notoriously bad at taking care of himself and uh, had many, many drug abuse problems over the years. Uh, rampantly out of control type 2 diabetes. Yeah, it, it was never a case of uh, if, it was a case of when it was going to take him. I mean, this is a dude that had a massive stroke and actually had to learn to play guitar from scratch because mm. the, the memory loss was such that he could not remember how to play guitar. So you can actually hear there's a point where his entire guitar playing style changes because he literally had to learn it again. Crazy stuff. Uh, over in the magazine, in the news, we've got a very brief article on the Crow City of Angels. Recently saw mention of that from Ketchup of Ketchup and Mustard. Uh, just talking about the difference between the original script, what they shot, and then what was eventually produced. There is a work print out there somewhere of, like, kind of close to the original director's vision. However, of all the work prints that have kind of leaked onto the internet and become kind of like the cabal cut of Nightbreed, that is not one of them. I would love for it to appear. I'd love for Scream Factory to get hold of it and produce something because the original City of Angels could have been a better film than the first Crow before studio interference, bloody studio interference. The purple column is gone. Here's Dom's rant, which goes on basically about how video games don't prepare you for the real world, but does have a disclaimer at the bottom saying... The views expressed in this column are those of a rather sad, despondent Scottish person who has no friends. Certainly not those of us completely top-notch chaps at Games Master. So in other words, if anyone actually does what Dom says he used to do in this column, don't sue us, sue him. He can afford it. He's loaded. <laughs> also, he's got a friend. Kirk Ewing's on this new series. He really is. You can see the dynamic shift right from episode one. Oh yeah, can't you just? Couple of reviews to highlight, one of which is Corpse Killer. Oh, yeah, from Child's Play 2 director, John Lafia. On the 3DO, graphics 83, although ironically, the word graphics is missing from the graphics header. Quality control. 79 for sounds, 12 
for gameplay. Oh, man. 15 for lifespan. Overall, 15%. It's laughable to think that they spent so much money and came up with this. It would be even more laughable to think that you might be thinking of buying it, wouldn't it? Signed, Les. Man, those FMV games. You want to talk about home runs and strikeouts. I feel like there are way more strikeouts than there are home runs. I enjoy playing them now, but also I'm not paying 50 quid for them now. That's the key difference. That's the key to it, right? Playing on emulation is a bit of fun. Or even just like as a 20 quid title on the Switch, because usually it comes with some, like Night Trap, it comes with some special features and some kind of like a certainly better video quality for the most part. Mm -hmm. But... Also reviewed Ultimate Doom for the PC CD-ROM, Graphics 84, Sound 86, Gameplay 93, Lifespan 90, overall 90%. Les ends it with, The extra Doom levels are very tough, and with Heretic thrown in, this is a great package, because this includes Heretic. Oh cool, that's a really nice bundle then. Yeah, really nice bundle, and it says forget it if you already have either, but if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Moving into August, our films at the top of the box office were Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, followed by two weeks of Waterworld. We'll go into Waterworld, I think, a bit more when we get to when we cover the the ride that they do in Games Master or the live show. And then two weeks of my favorite of the series, Die Hard with a Vengeance. John McClain, NYPD. On a good day, he's a great cop. Oh, I do like Die Hard with a Vengeance. It was, of course, the first Die Hard film not to be a Die Hard film, uh, starting off as a spec script called Simon Says. But the plotting, the pacing, the casting, the dynamic between Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, everything about that movie is great. And in fact, if I'm ranking Die Hard movies, first one gets the top spot. Three is very close behind. Like, literally, the season is what dictates which one I will watch. Yeah, no, three three is my favourite. I, I just absolutely love the film. I think it's so much fun. I think the action's great. I think the scripting of it is really good. As, as you said, you know, it wasn't designed to be a diehard movie like, you know, a lot of the diehard films. Yeah, Simon Says it was originally a Brandon Lee vehicle before it got repackaged. It then moved over to Warner Brothers, where it was repackaged to be a lethal weapon movie before it got moved to Fox, where it got repackaged as a diehard movie. Oh, it would have been a terrible Lethal Weapon movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it sort of makes sense then when you look at it, you're like, oh, I can see how it would have been a Lethal Weapon movie where you had Bruce and, and Sam Jackson. But they were actually, apparently, the original spec script that they were given was a film called Troubleshooter, which they were going to do into Die Hard. And it was described as, you know, it, well, it was John McClane fighting terrorists on a cruise ship. And they decided, no, that's too much like Under Siege. So instead, it got repackaged as Speed 2 Cruise Control. Woof. That is not a good movie. It's a bad, bad film. The other thing to note as well from Die Hard with a Vengeance is that Sam Jackson was not the original choice to play Zeus. It was Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne was like negotiating with them to to go onto the movie, but they were sort of like hardballing them with a number in this, that, and the other. And the producers then went to Cannes to see the premiere of Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. And while watching that, they were like, wow, this Sam Jackson guy is really, really great. And that's how Sam Jackson ended up being casting. Lawrence Fishburne sued the producers and 20th Century Fox for reneging on a verbal contract. He eventually settled out of court with them. And the high irony of all of that 
is that Lawrence Fishburne was supposed to play Jules in Pulp Fiction, but his agent talks him out of it. Oof, man. That first one is just... I hope he fires his agent. Uh, (laughs) The second one is... I can see Lawrence Fishburne being Zeus. I'm not sure it would have worked as well, because I can't see Larry Fishburne going, you know, Zeus is in the father of Apollo, don't f*** with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Or, you know, hey, why do you keep calling me Jesus? Do I look Puerto Rican to you? It, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't see those lines coming out of Lawrence Fishburne's mouth. But then again, were those lines in the script when it was Lawrence Fishburne? Or had the writer seen Samuel L. Jackson and gone, right, let's retool this. Let's give him some like kind of like impactful, snappy, cool dialogue, because that's what SLJ does the best. The alternative ending for Die Hard is... I don't think it's great. I think they went with a much better ending for the film, but it is a it's an interesting one. Like it's on the DVD where it's set years later and you find out that John McClane was uh framed for the robbery and like the FBI like you found him implicit he was fired from the NYPD, didn't get his pension and you find out that Jeremy Irons fucked over all of his terrorist mates and it ends with them playing Russian roulette with a Chinese rocket launcher with the sight removed. It ends up with Jeremy Irons blowing himself up with a rocket launcher at point-blank range when they play McLean Says. Yeah, they went with a better ending, but man, that is some gonzo. That, that, <laughs> I can't believe that that was... I mean, was that the original ending, wasn't it? That was Yeah, that was the original ending, uh, and they felt that it was a too bitter of an ending for John McLean, like, because it's revenge. And yeah, they just they felt that they needed to have a more action... Also, it's, it's two people talking. And they didn't feel it was an ending befitting of an action movie. And so that's when we got McLean and Zeus in a helicopter and Jeremy Irons getting very pissed off. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's all on, If you haven't got the DVD, it's all up on YouTube to, to watch it there. I would recommend you go out of the way to, to watch it. It's, it's very interesting. I've got the DVD, I've got the Blu-ray set, and I know I've watched that alternate ending, but I bet you I haven't watched it since it was the standard death edition. Uh, and in music, we had Blur's Country House at the top of the charts for two weeks and Michael Jackson's You Are Not Alone for two weeks, which will actually take us into the start of the new series before we get our brand new number one. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, Man, there were so many films in there that we could have done much deeper dives onto. There's some games in there we could have done much deeper dives onto. I hope that people enjoyed it, though, even if some of it was a bit of a snapshot of this time. And, dude, I am really, really excited to get into Series 5, Episode 1 next week. Me too. And I do just actually want to say, if you're thinking oh, they didn't mention this or they forgot to talk about that. One is we may have and we may have just cut it because time, raw recording, this is now at two hours. I, I, We need to knock it down quite a bit. Yeah. But if you want to talk about this time frame, you can do so on our Discord where we have just recently set up a Do You Remember channel, not only for the hardcore nostalgia discussion, but also the, hey, do you remember this show? Kind of the tip of my tongue type queries. So... Join our Discord, bring the discussion over to there. There'll be lots of other people probably also going, what the hell, guys, you didn't mention this. Uh, And if you want to get episode one of series five a week early and ad free, you can back us over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod at the five pound level. You will get that episode into an RSS feed right now. At the 10 pound level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? At the 10 pound level, they get our Patreon supporter pack which I'm not going to go into the details of now because I'm still hoping we might be able to switch things up for Series 5 onwards. So stay tuned to our Patreon and find out what you will be getting at that £10 level soon. 
Shout out to those £10 backers. Xanderthol, William, Simon, Sean, Rich, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Harriet, Gordon, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Cliff, Christian Din, Gamesmaster two times, Pretty Two Sticks, Andrew Cummings, Adam D, Colin, and Paul. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week as we ascend to heaven for Series 5. Take care, everyone. Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.